0: The reality is that when it comes to community, community matters to God. Do you know how much it matters to God? <laughs> it matters so much to God that in, in, the last, uh, or in that upper room, that last supper, Jesus said, Hey, if you have love for one another, by this all will know that you are my disciples. In other words, this is going to be the convincing evidence that you follow me. And then when Jesus is praying, that high priestly prayer that somehow only John is able to overhear and record. In John chapter 17, he prays not just for his 11 disciples there in his immediate context, but he actually prays for believers all throughout the ages. And he says, I pray that they may all be one in us, even as the Father and I are one. That's huge. That they may believe that you have sent me. Immunity matters to God. It mattered so much to Jesus that he prayed for oneness of his people to the end of time. And in a, in a Ministry Magazine article, one of my, my favorite speakers, Mark Finley, was actually putting to pen this, uh, this article on oneness and unity. And let me just read this quote. He says this, One of the things that really matters to God is the unity of his church. This unity is not some peripheral matter. In other words, it's not just an appendage to our beliefs. It's not just something on the edges of our thinking. This is not a peripheral matter. It is at the very heart of the gospel. Without unity, the church becomes powerless to proclaim the gospel in its fullness to the world. Do you believe that today? Really, we've been entrusted with the everlasting gospel, right? That's the everlasting good news of who God is, that He truly is the God who is love. And how can we proclaim that if we could never demonstrate that in our human relationships? The reality is to love one another as Jesus loved us, that's a divine miracle. That is not something that you and I can ever muster up or pull up our bootstraps enough to do. That's something that that we need prayer for, and I'm so thankful that Jesus prayed for that. Yeah, so as we get into our study today, let's let's bow our heads together and seek God, Father in heaven. Right now, we're just uh, we're giving you permission to work in us, to will and to do of your good pleasure, specifically as it relates to experiencing community, a oneness that reflects the very nature of the triune God, a oneness that demonstrates the self-giving, other-centered, sacrificial love of God. We'll be honest with you, guys. In our human relationships, in our experience, the things that we might call love um, are only a shadow of your love toward us. And so we're asking that you would give us spiritual perception to even conceive and perceive what it is that you are praying for amongst your people. We want to experience the answer to Jesus' prayer. In our home life, in our neighbor, neighborhoods, in our community, and especially in our church community. So God, as we open up the scriptures today, we're asking that you would teach us, that we would hear a word from the Lord, not just for information's sake, God, but for transformation's sake. Please, Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. 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 All right. Unity matters to God. And this is why we're studying it. Um, Over the the last several weeks, the previous sermon series, uh, we we started taking a look at this idea that in order to cast our nets effectively, we need to mend our nets intentionally. And so um, we're going to go to the book of Acts today, because last week we began this study... That of, you know, this, this idea of how important unity is to God, that he prayed for it. And we were looking for an answer to Jesus' prayer for oneness. And we found that answer in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to continue to explore it. What does it look like when Jesus' answer for oneness is actually answered? Or sorry, Jesus' prayer for oneness is actually answered. Well, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 once again. And just, we'll, we'll read the last several verses there of Acts chapter 2. If you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Alright, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse I'll start in verse 41. All right? So if you remember the context, this is the day of Pentecost, right? 50 days after Jesus was crucified, 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven. 10 minutes after Jesus or Peter starts preaching this sermon that is he is filled with the Holy Spirit with And in verse 41, the Bible says, Then those, I'm reading from the New King James, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with what kind of Honda? (laughs) With my Bible says with one accord. Right? So continuing daily with one accord. That's that's in unity, in harmonious action, thought, and motive. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily, Daily those who were being saved. In other words, putting faith in Jesus to save them. Those are effective nets, wouldn't you say? It's because they've, they're nets that have been mended. Yeah. So back to Acts chapter 2, here we are. <clears throat> if, if unity is so important that, that Jesus would pray for it, and here we see an answer to it, I believe Jesus wants that prayer to be answered continually. Yeah. And if it's so important to God, I hope it's important to us. What I want to look at today is, what in the world were they doing? <laughs> what was it that contributed to their sense of community last week we looked at experiences that they had kind of leading up to this today we're looking at we're looking at verse 42 specifically and not even the entirety of verse 42 just the uh, just the first half of it okay actually i'm kind of going to break this up and parse it in a way that's maybe not so natural uh, next week we'll look at the rest of verse 42 all right so verse 42 it says this they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, when my, my 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 Bible says they continued steadfastly, does anybody else's version say it differently besides continued steadfastly? What do you got? What do you got? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Nice. Okay, so they devoted themselves. Okay. Any other any other concepts there besides that continuing steadfastly or devoting oneself to it? Yeah, Bernice. I'm the same, Nice. Okay, okay. So you get this sense that this is an ongoing dynamic. So what's interesting is that when we turn to Acts chapter 2, oftentimes, at least this has been my experience, I don't know if it's been like this for you, when I turn to Acts chapter 2, I'm thinking the day of Pentecost. I'm thinking about that singular event when the Holy Spirit filled the apostles, and they preached, and 3,000 were added to them in that day. I think of that as a small snippet of time in which the Holy Spirit worked powerfully to bring hearts to conviction, but the rest of Acts chapter 2 actually tells us what happened after that day as well. Do you follow that? It's not just that event. It's not just that 10-minute sermon. It's not just that however long it took for those 3,000 to be baptized. there's, There's life after that. Acts chapter 2 also highlights what happened beyond that day. So think about it. The church just grew from 120 who were gathered in the upper room to 3,000. Yeah? Oh, man, it makes me think of that promise in John 15, 16, right? One of the last times that Jesus has with his disciples. And he says, I have appointed you to bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. You remember that? And that your fruit would remain. I don't know if we have this up here. now. we don't. Okay. It's John 15, verse 16. It's a promise. He's saying, look, I've appointed you to bear not just some fruit, but much fruit. 120 to 3,000. That's much, I would say, right? But it's not just fruit that's a flash in the pan or a one-day wonder. It's fruit that would last. That would remain. So how would it remain? How would this fruit last? How would the 3,000 converted in that, in that day experience life beyond that? I would submit, as we're reading this experience, it happens in the context of community, ongoing community, oneness, relationships of discipleship. And so that word for devoted or continually devoted or continued steadfastly, it actually literally means to show strength, to show prevailing strength in an ongoing dynamic. To consistently show strength, which prevails. To continue to do something with intense effort, despite difficulty. Despite difficulty. See, the community or oneness of Acts chapter 2, it happened as the new believers engaged. Catch it now. It happened as they engaged new habits. New habits consistently. How many of you have ever tried to engage a new habit? Yeah, (laughs) usually around the turn of the calendar or something, many of us try to engage some new habits, new habits. Whenever we engage any kind of new habit, you know as well as I do that it's going to require some effort, right? There's going to be some difficulty and because of the difficulties, because of the old trend and trying to buck that old trend, uh, it requires not just effort once or twice, but prevailing effort continually in an ongoing fashion. We, we, we understand that, right? Same thing goes with community dynamics, or habits that contribute to community. And, and this, is, this is, I think, what, what this verb is kind of getting at. And they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves, they put prevailing strength towards these new habits. We're going to explore the habits in just a little bit, but let me just kind of balance this out just for a moment. We talk about engaging new habits and trying new things, putting forth prevailing effort towards these new habits of community. But I want to suggest to you today that at the same time, we recognize that this is community that happens not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, I don't want us to go to Acts chapter 2 and say, okay, what's the recipe for community? If I just add a dash of this and a little bit of that, then boom, I'll have God-like oneness. No, it's not about what I do. It's not by might, nor by power, but by who? The Holy Spirit, right? Remember, this is an answer to prayer. This is not something they did. This is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. It's as a result of the Holy Spirit coming down in fullness. That's why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, when, when, when the Apostle Paul is kind of taking up this, this dynamic of the gospel and its implications in our relationships, he realizes, yes, that relationships are made whole, but it's not by your effort, it's because Jesus did it. right Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, "For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. In other words, we didn't make ourselves one, God. Did. Jesus Christ, through the cross, He Himself is our peace. Are we okay with that today? Yeah? So when we start talking about new habits, we're not talking about things that I can do to make community. No, because Jesus makes community. Right? So when we're talking about prevailing strength, putting effort towards things, what we're really talking about is, while oneness is a divine work, while oneness is an answer to Jesus' prayer, we employ our greatest efforts... Into letting God do His work, in other words, into not getting in the way. Right? <laughs> to putting ourselves in a position where God's peace-making, community-building grace can be put to work in our lives. All right, so the habits that we're looking at, yes, these are things to do, but really it's not our work to make community. These are things to put ourselves in position so that Jesus can make community. Is that okay today? Yeah? I know that's kind of like a a, a mental jump here, but but really this is called righteousness by faith. (laughs) That's what that is. It's letting Jesus be Jesus, because only He can be our Savior. Yes, He saves us from sin that separates us from Him, but you know what else? He saves us from sin that separates us from each other. That's the gospel. You read Ephesians 2 in its entirety, and you say, yes, he, we are saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he takes it up the rest of the chapter and says, and now because of this grace, he has made a new humanity. Whoa! He has made a community. That's the power of the gospel, to reconcile heaven and earth and to reconcile us with each other. That's why the cross is like this. It's beautiful it's beautiful okay so here we are acts chapter two verse 42 let's look at these habits they continued steadfastly they put forth prevailing strength devoted strength to what in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers when you just kind of look at this as a in, in a kind of bird's eye overview sort, sort of sense We see that there's a relational nature to these habits, right? Apostles doctrine, there's fellowship, there's breaking of bread. I like that part. We'll get to that next week. And then uh, in prayers. It's a relation, these are relational in nature. In other words, these are habits that have to do with cultivating relationship both vertically and horizontally. And so if we want to experience community that reflects the Godhead, new habits must form and we should expect to continue steadfastly in things that maybe we weren't doing before in our relationships. Husbands, I don't know how many times you've had to... To realize that maybe there are certain things, new habits to form in your relationship that would cultivate unity and community, right? Socks don't go there, they go here, (laughs) right? Uh, uh, Sorry, I'm just speaking from experience. Anyways, okay. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to experiencing unity, it may involve prevailing strength towards habits that you weren't doing before. And by the way, engaging new habits is always a byproduct, or at least a willingness to engage new habits is always a byproduct of repentance and conversion. Whether you've experienced it, whether you've experienced it in your human relationship or in your relationship with God, See the the people here. They had, remember last week we had talked about they had cultivated a soft and repentant heart. They'd already been broken on the rock. They're asking Peter, "What shall we do?" They're recognizing that their old trajectory is not a trajectory they want to continue in. So when it comes to community, you realize, hey, there's dysfunction here. There are patterns and habits of thinking and thought that are not going to be healthful. This is not necessary edification coming out of my you know whatever the case might be. You realize that's an old direction. You don't want. You need to repent. So there are new habits, new habits. True repentance doesn't want to keep in that old direction. So I want to ask this question this morning before we get to these new habits. How important is community to us? How important is community? We've already talked about it. It's important to God. It's not a peripheral matter. We know that. Something that Jesus prayed for. Something that Jesus, I would submit, died for. So, how important is community to me? How important is community to us? And is community important enough to engage new habits, to actually turn from the old and walk in something new? If it is important enough, if your answer to this question is yes, then then we can study. If your answer to this question is, uh, <laughs> if your answer to this question is, well, sometimes my personality is just that. And I don't contribute to community because I'm just that way. I want to tell you, Jesus has the power to change you (laughs) and me. It's so important to him that he prayed for it. It's so important to him that he died for it. And I would hope and pray that it would be just as important to us. So is community important enough to engage new habits? I hope so. So, here we go. We're gonna, we're, basically today, what we're going to look at are the relational habits here in verse 42 that have to do kind of more this way. All right. Next week, we'll do with the, the habits that are more this way. The reality is that all the habits are... Kind of overlapping in both. It's kind of a a misnomer there. But, anyways, habit number one. Here we go. You ready? Community habit number one. And I would say ongoing community habit number one is this devotion to the apostles' doctrine. Devotion to the apostles' doctrine. In other words, investing energy and prevailing strength in really receiving the message that the apostles were teaching and preaching. Right? We know these believers gladly received the word that Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost in that short period of time. But with prevailing strength, they continued to receive that word beyond that day. You follow that, right? They continued steadfastly in it. They continued in the word for not just intellectual understanding. Okay, wait, what did Peter mean by quoting from Psalm 16 and Joel chapter 2? What did Peter mean by seeing Jesus in that scripture? They were Yes, they were receiving the word of God, trying to make sense of this, trying to see how Jesus is in all the scriptures for an intellectual understanding, but also, I would say, for a transformational experience. They wanted to be sanctified by the Word. Remember what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 last week. That The Thessalonians, they receive the Word, not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, which does a work in us who believe. Energy is put out through the Word of God in us when we believe and receive God's Word. It takes energy to regularly receive God's Word. Amen. <laughs> if you're not in the habit of, of taking time daily... To read and receive God's... There's a difference, right? There's a difference between reading the Word and receiving the Word. I don't know if you've realized that. That's why this Friday, March 1, we're going to take some time to, to understand how do we read so that we meet Jesus in the Scriptures. That's, that's what the focus is for that Vespers at Chris Norma's house. Thank you guys for hosting that. Yeah? And so it takes energy to re- regularly receive God's Word and to do so together. Not just on my own, but even to do that together. Not just on the seventh day, but how about the other six? What happens the other? Do we get to share and receive God's Word? Maybe that's one of the community habits that are taking place here. We've talked about daily time with God and the Word, but what about regularly getting into the Word or sharing the Word with our brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen community? I don't know if you've ever had the chance to do that before, but have somebody in your life that you regularly got together with maybe it was multiple times a week maybe it was just once a week outside of your sabbath hours where you actually just asked each other hey what are you reading in the word how have you seen jesus in the word when you have that kind of relationship and openness with someone i'm telling you your relationship with god will strengthen and your bond of unity will deepen that's just powerful if you haven't experienced that i would encourage you to do and I'll just give you a little heads up. At the end of this time together, I'm going to give you a seven-day challenge, and I hope we're okay with that. Anyways, that's just kind of planting the seed, put it on a shelf in your mind. All right. So what, what was this? Um, when it says devoted, they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, or they devoted themselves to the Apostles' Doctrine. As I was studying this, I was asking myself, what exactly was the Apostles' Doctrine? What exactly was the Apostle's teaching? And I I mean, we look at Acts chapter 2, we look at that sermon, and oh, sure, yeah, that's what Peter was teaching. He was teaching that Jesus was the Christ, right? He was saying that, hey, all these Old Testament scriptures, they're actually pointing to something that Jesus did and is going to do. That Jesus is the promised one. And when you look at Acts chapter 3, another sermon of Peter's after the uh, healing of a blind man, or excuse me, a lame man at the temple. And then in Acts chapter 4 and 5, you also see Peter kind of declaring a message before the religious leaders. And you get this sense that they were teaching in the name and in the power of Jesus. Go with me to Acts chapter 5 really quick. This is really cool. All of this kind of comes to a head, because the religious leaders did not appreciate the fact... (laughs) Peter and the other apostles were persisting in this new doctrine, this teaching. Acts chapter 5, the apostles are on trial again, according to my subheading above verse 22. It says, Apostles on trial again. But look at verse 20, let's see here, 28. 28. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. So they're kind of coming back to them like, What the fuck? We just told you to stop. Verse 28, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? Whose name was that? The name of Jesus, right? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with what? Your doctrine, doctrine, a.k.a. your teaching. And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So part of that teaching was Jesus was the Christ. You just crucified the Christ. Okay, Jesus was the promised one. Look at all these prophecies, A, B, C, D. I mean, it kind of makes me think about that, uh, that Bible study that Jesus had with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, opening up the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Right? So basically, this is what, what we have. They were teaching in the name of Jesus. They were filling Jerusalem with the doctrine. And then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, in verse 42... I mean, obviously, the disciples didn't stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And it says in verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching what? Or who? Jesus, Jesus as the Christ. This was their message. And really this, I mean, I'm going to use a phrase that maybe has some, some uh, uh, association in your mind, or maybe it doesn't. This was their present message truth this was the truth that was particularly relevant for their age and dynamic in what god was doing in redemptive history the message that needed to be declared was that one he was the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he was the fulfillment of all those prophecies so continuing In this, if their teaching sounded anything like their preaching, it was prophetic in focus. There are prophecies that point to how the Messiah would come, and and that the the Messiah, in fact, did come. Again, that Bible study on the road to Emmaus, Jesus opening up the scriptures the things concerning himself. This was their present truth, and I wonder today, what does it look like? What what would it mean for us to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the present truth for our time? I would say there are two things that I would say. One, investing energy to know and experience the word that points to Jesus. Yeah? I mean, this is something we've kind of talked about over the last several weeks. But reading the word, not just for information's sake, but reading the word for relationship's sake, to know who Jesus is. To not just see ink on paper, oh, that was a nice story, things like that. Not just to know your Bible chronology, but to see where Jesus is. If we have Bible knowledge without the knowledge of Jesus, then we don't have eternal life. Right? Because Jesus said that this is life eternal, that they might know me, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So one, to, to persist or to invest energy in knowing and experience the word that points to Jesus, taking time to find Jesus in the word together. But I would also say, what is present what is devoting ourselves to the apostles' doctrine look like today? I would also say this. It involves investing energy to know and experience the present truth message that points to Jesus not as or not only as the promised Messiah who would die as the Lamb but also those prophecies that paint him as the one who would come as the high priest to the most holy place in the sanctuary. The prophecies that point to Jesus not just as lamb, but also as high priest, not just as a high priest, but as coming king as well. To devote ourselves to this message, to see Jesus as moving throughout the sweep of history, this, I believe, is something we need to devote ourselves to. I don't know if you realize this. But it requires intentional energy and prevailing strength to devote ourselves to present truth. Do you realize that? In every age, there is a tendency to settle for what's easy to swallow and for what's largely accepted. The believers of that age, they had that tendency too. Peter was confronted with that. Hey, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop filling Jerusalem with this doctrine. But they exerted prevailing strength, intentional energy to devote themselves to that present message. And just like those early believers, our community will be strengthened as we form a habit of devoting ourselves to the special truth for this time. Understanding it, not just on an intellectual level, but also on an experiential level. Do I know what it means that Jesus is now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary? Do I know what that means as an idea? Sure. Do I know what that means as an experience? Maybe. That when Jesus said, hey, where I go, there you may be also. I go to prepare a place for you. That when Jesus went at, up to heaven, he did not just go with the, the objective of a heavenly carpenter to prepare a place. He went with the objective of going as a heavenly high priest to prepare a people for that place. Do I know that as an experience? I need to devote myself to that. To receive Jesus as both Lamb and High Priest and as soon coming King. Amen? Yeah, yeah. So this is what they were doing. They were devoting themselves to that habit. Alright, you ready for habit number two? It's there on the screen. Community habit number two. We're back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. That was one bookend. We're going to the other bookend. In fellowship and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. There it is. There's the other bookend. Community habit number two is devotion, continual devotion, ongoing steadfastness in prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Dietrich Bonheffer. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Dietrich Bonheffer. I've only read through the entirety of one of his books, The Cost of Discipleship. But I know that he's written another book called Life Together, and it's on my book list. And he's writing about community and what it takes. And man, I didn't bring the quote with me, but he says basically that community rises and falls on the capacity to intercede for one another. Rises and falls on the capacity to pray with, pray for one another. And when you look in the book of Acts, before Acts chapter 2 and that whole day of Pentecost and thereafter experience, Acts chapter 1 happens. And in Acts chapter 1, the very first time this idea of continuing steadfastly and being devoted occurs, it's in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Take a look. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. This is the first time this picture of being in one accord occurs. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Notice what they're in one accord about. These all continued. There's that prevailing strength idea, devoted. These all continued with one accord in prayer. And supplication. Supplication is one of those $5 million words that we're not quite sure. <laughs> it, it, it's the idea of petitioning for supplies. Realizing I've got no supply. I need to be supplicated, supplied. Prayer and supplication. This is what the apostles were devoting themselves to in the upper room for 10 days prior to the day of Pentecost. What were they asking supplies for? What were they asking for supplies for? Jesus had just given them a promise in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. Don't forget about Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the world. In fact, in the book, Acts of the Apostles, Ellen White gives us a sneak peek into this uh, upper room experience. And let's just read it this here. It says, The disciples prayed with intense earnestness. I'll, let me just stop right there. Do we know what it, it's like to pray with intense earnestness? Man, the apostles did. The disciples, they prayed with intense earnestness for what? For a fitness to meet men in their daily intercourse, to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. When they're asking for supplies, they're asking for the capacity to just mingle with people in a way that has saving impact in their lives. Man, I, when you interact with somebody, when, you, when, you, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> when you're at the groceries and you try to decide, should I go the, to the scan and go, or should I go <laughs> to, to actually have FaceTime with somebody? Go ahead, go have FaceTime with somebody. And the Holy Spirit may use you just even there to have saving impact in someone's life. This is what the disciples were praying for. They didn't need um, an evangelistic campaign to to have fitness for. They wanted fitness in the daily intercourse of life. For fitness to meet men in their daily intercourse, to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ, it keeps going. The disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of what? Soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for, me, for themselves merely, they were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. That's what they were praying for. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. So, when, this, when we're talking about being devoted to prayer, steadfast prayer, we're talking about prayer with a heart for mission. We're talking not, this is not just uh, about saying our prayers. This is about investing prevailing strength in prayer that moved God's mission forward. That made room for the Holy Spirit to work both in their lives and through their lives. That's the kind of prayer they were devoted to. Do we follow that today? Yeah? Prayer with a heart for mission. And I think this is what the, the disciples, you know, the, I'm sorry, the apostles themselves, when you get to chapter 6, verse 4, they're kind of at a pivot point where the Lord had been adding to the church, adding, 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 and then in chapter 6, the dis- disciples were being multiplied. So this is, <laughs> it goes from adding, which would, this is much fruit, right? But if, if we're now going to multiply, this is much, much fruit. Yeah? This is a grande type, type of level, okay? Anyway, so in chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Hey, the disciples are saying, Hey, wait, wait, wait. We will give ourselves continually, right, steadfastly to prayer and to the ministry of the word. When he says that, he's not just saying, Hey, I need my, my uh, three times a day just to have my, say my prayers. No, he's, he's saying, I need to devote myself to prayer that moves forward the mission of God. Prayer with a heart for mission. Prayer with a burden for souls. In fact, man, When we're talking about praying uh, with a burden for... Do I have this here? Yes. So, the Apostle Paul knew what this kind of prayer was like. And he was encouraging the the church in Colossae to do the same. He said, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. What are the things that you're vigilant about? (laughs) Vigilant. Vigilant. Like, on guard about. Like, really putting forth kind of this... um, Almost offensive mentality. Paul is saying, continue in prayer like that. And be vigilant with it, with thanksgiving. Don't just let your prayers be all about petitions. Recognize what God is giving to you. And then later on in the chapter, he gives us an example of someone who is continuing earnestly in prayer. Epaphras. We don't know very much about this guy, but if you ever have a chance, just kind of look up the names of Paul's you know, ministry partners, and kind of get a sense of what their their ministry story was. You, you you see some really neat stories, some sad stories of people abandoning the cause and things like that. But Epaphras was someone who continued earnestly in prayer. Notice Epaphras, who is one of you, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in what? In prayers. Some versions say he was always wrestling for you in prayer. This is talking about agonizing. Like the literal Greek word is, is the agonizoma. It's coming from this sense of, you know, I got to pray for my friends. Epaphras was always laboring fervently for you in prayers. For what purpose? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. One of the results of persisting in prayer like this as the apostles discovered in the upper room, is that when we pray for each other like this, when we pray for our friends and family like this, when we pray for our neighbors, with the same kind of burden that you feel for your neighbors, man, then there's a coming together. What does it say in Acts chapter 1, verse 14? They, these all continued with one accord, in prayer and in supplication. So we've just looked at two habits. Two habits, really simple. Devotion to what the apostles' doctrine and to prayer. Devotion to the Apostles' Doctrine, and to prayer. Now, while both of these are primarily about strengthening our not, so to speak, our friendship with God, really, when we devote ourselves to study and to prayer together, that has a huge bond. Uh, It generates a huge bond in our relationships and friendships with others. When you have people that you can seek God together with, those relationships run deep. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you haven't experienced that in your life. I mean, just think about the week that has just passed. Maybe you don't want to think about the week that has just passed. Just think about the week that has just passed. Your ups, your downs, your valleys, your lows, you know, whatever. Think about the week that has just passed. What if there had been someone who is reaching out to you throughout the week, giving you a verse of Scripture to say, hey, I saw Jesus in this. Or, you know what? I want to pray. I have a burden to pray for you right now. Can you imagine your week maybe going up a tick? <laughs> Can you imagine your week being bolstered and strengthened just a little bit? Just by that kind of community? Do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, this, maybe this is hard for us to imagine. Maybe we, we, we don't see, we don't have friends like that in our lives. But I wonder if God wants to make you a friend like that in someone's life. I hope this is, this is something, again, that we're, we, we recognize the importance of. What I want to do right now is give you actually several minutes to practice this. <laughs> to practice, maybe with a partner that's next to you, across the room from you, someone that's not necessarily in the same home as you, I want to give you permission to practice right now. And and this is what I want to, uh, to find a partner and share a word maybe that you've heard today in our Sabbath school lesson or maybe a word that you have read throughout the week or someone that you just came across. But share a word in which you've seen Jesus. That's one option. Or pray with a burden for their soul or for a burden of a soul that's on their heart. Okay. I don't know if those instructions landed Okay, so here's the, here's the instruction. Find a partner. I would encourage you even a partner that's not in the same home as you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and either share a word of how you've seen Jesus, something that you're encouraged by, or pray with them for the salvation of their soul or for the salvation of a soul that is heavy on their heart. Alright, I'm going to give you several minutes to do this. So it's okay to get up. It's okay to, to find somebody um, ready. Ready? Steady, go. (laughs) All right, I'm going to ask an honest question here on a scale of thumbs up to thumbs down. How was that? (laughs) How was that, yeah? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now, I told you, I I planted something in your minds. I put something, or asked you to put something on the shelf in your minds. I'm going to extend a challenge here. If that was sweet, what if that was sweet on an ongoing basis? That we didn't have to wait for the seventh day to experience that kind of community. So here's a seven-day challenge. And this can just be um, something that you think and ponder about and you decide about later, or it's something that you turn to the person that you were just hanging out with and say, let's do this right now, okay? So here's a seven-day challenge. You ready? I'll read it find someone in this room that would be willing to partner with you this week for daily continuing in the scriptures and prayer it's a 7-day community challenge da, da, da. all right a 7-day community challenge maybe it was someone that or maybe it was someone that you just prayed with maybe you're you're visiting today and uh, you realize that there's someone in your church community that you need to experience this with in that, in that circle of fellowship. All right? Seven days steadfast community challenge. Find someone in this room or wherever your sphere is that would be willing to partner with you this week for daily continuing in the scriptures. For example, sharing promises or ways you're seeing Jesus in what you're reading in the Bible or taking time to pray with or for each other for the salvation of someone on each other's heart. What if each day this week we experience steadfast community? All right. Now I'm not saying that steadfast community always has to be an on like a seven-day, you know, frequency type of thing, but I want to give you the chance to just kind of go at it, immerse yourself and try to experience community. Remember, prevailing strength, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that God brings about community. We can put ourselves in position by giving ourselves these habits to engage, but only God is the one who makes the two one. OK? so Will you think about this? Yeah? I know some of you are are really pondering right now. (laughs) Some of you are even sweating about it, furrowing your eyebrow. No. Um, That's why I'm calling it a challenge. It really is a challenge. It'll be a new habit. It'll be a new habit. But if new habits are worth it, then they're worth investing in. Yeah. Okay. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are the God who gives community who makes peace and oneness. And Lord, as we're just kind of on the tail end or maybe even halfway through this study, we, we see that there are things that were going on in this experience of Acts chapter 2. We want to experience it ourselves, but we know it's not by might or power, but by your Holy Spirit. So individually, we're kind of considering how we're going to do this. Um, Maybe we need to turn to the person that we were just hanging out with and ask, is this something we want to really invest in? And so I just give you permission to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Lord, take us to levels of community that we never thought possible. In Jesus' saving name, everyone said, Amen.